0: So Money, Episode 329, Sherry from Save, Spend, Splurge.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life?
0: Welcome to So Money. Creating opportunities by starting your own business is one of the most empowering things you can do for yourself. However... It can also be overwhelming at times. The secret to getting more done isn't about finding more time, but rather finding the right tools. Our friends at FreshBooks couldn't agree more. FreshBooks has created an amazingly simple invoicing tool designed for small business owners who need to focus on their work, not their paperwork. Oh, and invoicing is only the start. FreshBooks lets you know instantly when your client has viewed your invoice and even imports your expenses directly from your business checking account. ready to say goodbye to searching for receipts when it comes to tax time. If you do have questions, just contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get help from real live humans. No phone tree, no let me escalate that, just helpful service at the drop of a hat. To try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, just go to freshbooks.com forward slash so money and enter so money in the how did you hear about us section. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today's guest is, well, she's anonymous, and she's my second guest to not want to reveal her full name. The last guest I had that was like this was Mrs. Frugal Woods, if you recall. And today we have Sherry from Save, Spend, Splurge, here by Popular Demand few of you have written in specifically asking to hear from her. So here we are. She's agreed to come on. This is in fact her first ever podcast. The intrigue around Sherry, I think, stems from her ability to live the good life, the very good life. And she's not afraid to hide it, at least uh, not afraid to write about it. She's also an amazing negotiator, has managed to freelance her way to a net worth of about a half a million dollars, and she's only in her early 30s. So we're going to talk about all of that, and by the way, how she yanked herself out of $60,000 worth of debt in just 18 months, and why she thinks retirement, by the way, is a privilege. She's very opinionated, and that's why we love her. Welcome to the show, Sherry from Save Spend Splurge. Sherry from Save Spend Splurge, welcome to So Money. I know you want to be anonymous, so we don't have a last name. I don't even have a picture of you, but at least I have a voice. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Uh,
0: If I could take a guess, I can't tell where your accent's from, I... Also notice on your blog that you use like a British English sometimes. So um, my guess is that you're not in the U.S. No, I'm, I'm from Canada. Okay, so you're from Canada. Why, why be anonymous?
1: Well, I find that being anonymous gives me a greater freedom to, to really talk about where I put my money because I, I actually, <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I do spend a lot of money on luxuries. And I feel like if I put my face to all of that, um, I don't want perfect strangers coming up to me and saying, so I hear you spent X amount of money on shoes last month. <laughs> but how, how can you justify that? You know, I, I kind of don't want those questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a, a freelancer. I'm an uh, entrepreneur. And I don't want that budgeting and, and that kind of transparency on, on what I have, my basically all my financial information online to factor into the way that they view me in the workplace. So that's the other big part of it as well.
0: It's true. Your finances sometimes can be used against you. It's used as a way to judge you. It's not right. And it's totally a prerogative. And so I'm just glad that Despite the fact that you're anonymous, you have become very popular. I should say that the reason we reached out to you to become a guest on the show is because listeners wrote in to me saying, I would love to have Sherry on your show. I'll actually read verbatim from an, oh email, my goodness. an email from Josh. He says, hey, Farnese, this was a, a while ago. He says, I'm, I'm wondering if you could interview some of the younger 30-something bloggers who seem to make a ton of money. I'm in my 30s myself, and I'm wondering how they got those jobs making 10 a month. A blogger who comes to mind is Sherry over at Save Spend Splurge. She seems to pull in about $20,000 a month on average, supposedly working 35 hours a week. I'm assuming it's all legitimate and legal, of course. (laughs) How is this even possible and how do I get in on it? I'm desperate to know. So let's answer his question, Sherry. First of all, is it true that you make $20,000 a month? Is it true that it's 35 hours a week? And can other people do what you do? You've been in so, the block space for ten <laughs> years. We should mention.
1: Yes, so um, to answer all of his questions in general, yes, but it depends on the contract and what rate I negotiate. So if I don't negotiate a high enough rate, it could actually be lower than twenty thousand a month. But yes, on average, I make at least twenty thousand uh, a month, and actually last month I made forty-six thousand. So
0: <laughs> what are you doing?
1: I'm a consultant. Um, I don't want to give away too many details because what I'm doing, it's a very niche industry, and it's, it's, everybody knows each other. Um, there's very few of us. We all know each other. We all work kind of in the same space, <laughs> and um, I got started in it by working for a consulting company, a management consulting company, and I just happened to pick up a, the knowledge on a project in particular, and I was so interested in it, I, I spent my own time learning all about it. And, and from there, I just, I found my career. I mean, I, I know it sounds hard to believe at 23, you could find your career. But I found it. And I thought, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And uh, after about two years of working for them, I quit, um, became a freelancer, um, quadrupled my income, <laughs> and basically cut out the middleman, which was the consulting company.
0: <laughs> so then the blog, is that really just an escape for you? It, being, you're completely just helping people. It's, it's very one directional in some ways, right? You're just giving people the information. How is your blog helping you?
1: Well, that's a really great question. I had actually started blogging in the personal finance blogosphere around 2006. That was when I was 60000 in student debt. Um, extremely stressed out by seeing the cost of interest on that debt each day. Um, and I started off at a fortunately at a very good job, um, in my opinion, coming out of college making 65,000 a year. I managed to clear that debt in 18 months. Um, and throughout that whole journey of starting from 60,000 to being completely debt free 18 months later, I, I blogged about it on a blog that I recently sold in 2012 called Fabulously Broken the City. Um, I also started a sister blog off that for minimalism called The Everyday Minimalist, which I also sold as well in 2012 when I thought I would get out of all this blogging stuff. And I got back into blogging um, just about last year because I realized that I didn't have a creative outlet. I had a lot going on in my head. And I couldn't just blurt it out to any random stranger. And, you know, my, my partner and my friends can only take so much money talk. So (laughs) that's where, that's where blogging comes in for me. It's really, really a way for me to voice out my thoughts. And what I really benefit from the most is all the great comments and people that write in you know, challenging me and and pointing out things that are, I would say, flawed in my thinking or my logic is not quite correct or giving another viewpoint. I mean, that that to me is the greatest thing of a blog is that you're able to put an opinion out there and have somebody challenge it and give you a completely different viewpoint that you can just say, wow, they're right. I didn't see the whole picture. So, you know, it's a little bit of everything, creative creativity, um, an outlet to express myself, and also just to blog about money. And hopefully, um, for me, the main goal was I want more women to get interested in their money. I see too many cases of of women, um, my mother in particular, um, other older women, women at work, people's wives that I hear about that say, oh, my wife doesn't know anything about where all the money goes, I handle everything, and I say... You know, what happens, what what if something happened to you? What would she, where would she be trying to juggle everything, not knowing where everything is? I mean, that to me is the kind of the other main goal of blogging other, other than, you know, myself expressing how I feel and getting feedback mm-hmm. as well.
0: You have very strong viewpoints, Sherry, yes, which I, I think, which is why <laughs> I think your blog partly is very successful. People are, are drawn to people with strong opinions. And on your website, on your blog, you have these top 10 money rules that you live by. Uh, yes. including, you know, no one should be more interested in your money than you. I agree. Uh, becoming wealthy is earning like a princess or a prince, but living like a pauper. <laughs> you also say that reti- – I want to focus on this. You say retirement is not a right. It's a privilege that you save f- your money for. Why make that a rule? I mean, isn't it just ex- – I mean, I agree with you. Do you think that some people think that retirement is an entitlement? Yes,
1: Completely. I think some people think that the minute I turn 65, I should have a full benefit package from the government, sit back, you know, kick up my legs and receive a full salary until the day I die. And for me, I understand that viewpoint, and I do understand that society as a whole has to take care of its own people and its own citizens. However, if we think, you know, circling back to the days of farming and before we had any of these things called money and we had bartering and that sort of thing. Um, You have to understand, at least for me, I understood that people, let's say, who were farmers, they worked until the day they died. I mean, so there were people who, in my family, who were farmers until they were in their late 80s. They didn't have a retirement plan. Their retirement plan was a chest of corn. (laughs) So, I mean, for me, I see it as a privilege, not a right, because they, for instance, had to be able to feed themselves to make it to the end. And that's the reason why they had so many children was so that they could have their children <laughs> take over.
0: Economic. Move,
1: exactly. Right. Exactly. So for me, that's why I, I, I do understand the one side of the coin where people say, you know, it's, it's a right that we should be able to retire when we're older and unable to get up and go to work. And I completely understand that. I have people in my family who still go to work and they're in their late 80s now and they don't want to work, but they have to because they didn't save for retirement. Um, But on the flip side as well, you know, you have to save for it. It's not a privilege that just comes to you just because you're a citizen of a country. It's also, you know, sorry, it's not a right. It's a privilege. Um, You have to save for it. You have to think about it. And instead of that chest of corn that you can grind into flour and make bread and live off on until you die so that you don't starve during the winter, it's going to be money. And money translates into corn.
0: (laughs) Yes. And you also say one of your rules is money isn't everything, but it is a necessary part of everything you do in life. And can I also say that I love, I love all your rules, but just, <laughs> let you. me just go through all them. Well, you say <laughs> hard work matters, I'd rather be stupid and hardworking than smart, but lazy. Time now to shed some light and say thank you to one of our sponsors on the show today, Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 70 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business? It all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, and even video backgrounds, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. I love that because I feel like I'm not the smartest girl in the room by any stretch, but I, I, I roll up my sleeves and I work hard. And I think I'd rather be, if my legacy is Farnoosh was one of the hardest working people we knew, I would prefer that than like, she was the smartest person I knew. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. I just, um, that was how I grew up. And so speaking of your, you know, your, your growing up years and your childhood, what was your foray into the world of finance, Sherry? How was money introduced to you as a young person? It
1: wasn't. I mean, that's basically, that's the long, long, short answer of it all is that it wasn't. I didn't even know money existed in the sense that you had the budget for it and there was an income and an outgoing and all that other stuff. I mean, I had some hints of it, you know, is when when you asked for an expensive pink organizer that you wanted to put all your friends' numbers in and use the cool calculator in the calendar that cost a hundred bucks and you were only seven years old because... You wanted something that was like a pre-POM pilot. <laughs> um, I understood that part when my dad said, "No, we're not buying it for you. It's a hundred dollars. It's a lot of money for basically a gadget for a child. Um, but I didn't understand anything about budgeting and, and money was a completely foreign concept to me. I just I came home, there was food, I ate, I asked for money for for things. I sometimes I got it, sometimes I didn't, and that was it. And it, I didn't actually get into personal finance or have anything to do with money, I'm very embarrassed to say, until I graduated with $60,000 in debt. That was the first day I received a letter from the banks and the government and all these fine institutions I borrowed my money from saying, hey, um, it's time to pay. It's 5.5% interest and 7% on $60,000 worth of debt. This is how much you're paying in interest per day calculated on whatever rate it was. And this is how much you have to give to us as a minimum. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm never going to be able to pay this off. It's going to be 10 years before I'm debt free. No, this is this is not happening. And I couldn't believe that I'd racked up $60,000 in student debt. And I was making $65,000 gross, which is a very good salary. But even that would not have cleared my debt in whatever amount of time that I calculated at at the time. So that was actually my first real, I guess, smack of reality was, you know, you've lived it up for the past four years in in college, going to school and getting all this so-called free money in your head that was really a line of credit um, to pay for books and tuition and you know shopping and those things I, I I can say I did not live like a student, which is one of my greatest regrets. I was not very frugal in you in um in uh, college, and, and when I got hit with that debt, I thought, no, nope, I have to figure out how to get out of this before ten years is up. This is unacceptable,
0: and you did it in like correct me if I'm wrong, 18 months? 18 months. Yes, okay. Talk to me about that. You. <laughs> one of your philosophies is that you have to save a minimum of like 25% of your income. I mean, if most people can't do that, but that's something that's important to you.
1: Yes. So, I mean, to answer your first part of the question is that um, I basically created the budgeting tool. That was the point where I created this monstrous excel sheet tracking my debt from all these institutions that i owe to with the percentage rates i tracked everything that was coming in and everything that was going out i mean i was reading personal finance blogs I was reading MSN money. I was getting my hands into anything I could find about money and debt. And I just absorbed all of it like a sponge, which is part of the whole working hard bit. <laughs> and then I, um, I started once I started seeing how much I was spending, I couldn't believe that 300 bucks could just slip through my fingers like water and I wouldn't even know where it went. Once I started tracking it, I thought, wow, I am wasting money on X, Y, and Z. I need to stop this because this is ridiculous. This is money that could go towards my debt. And um, it got to the point where I think, i uh, I, it was on the 16th month, I cleared everything but about $18,000 worth of debt. And that was making 65,000 gross a year. Um, It was at that point, it was about two years after I started working and I cleared most of it except for 18 grand. Um, I quit. Just before the recession, basically, when there was a big boom in my, my particular sector, all the prices were high, and they were hiring consultants. And I quit with absolutely no plan, 2000 in bucks in the bank, and just a, a, a gut hope slash stupid instinct that I could get a contract, um, quadruple my income, become a freelancer in my particular niche where I saw a lot of these job offers for, and and clear my debt. And that's exactly what happened. I quit on the Friday and I signed a contract the following Monday at a $130 an hour. I made 90 grand in three months and I cleared my $18,000 debt in about a week. Oh my
0: gosh. Yeah. Where does your, what's the word, chutzpah, the, uh, um, the boldness, <laughs> you know, most 20 somethings at that age wouldn't, think I could make $90,000 in three months or that I'm even worth that much money. But what made you go, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to go forward and who are you
1: (laughs) is my question. It's it's mostly luck, I would say. I mean, I was just at the right time and the right niche that they were all clamoring for people for, for my particular knowledge that I had worked hard for and earned for the past two years. And, and it was got to the point where they couldn't find anybody. I mean, literally, they were probably scraping the bottom of the barrel when they hired me. Um, but then I proved myself and I thought, I can do this. But that was after I, I, <laughs> I got the contract. Um, but it was just, I, I don't know where it comes from. I just had this feeling and I thought, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I have 2000 bucks in the bank. They have to pay me some sort of mini severance package. From my company, which is let's say another two grand, so I have $4,000, I can live on $4,000 for the next few months while I try and wait for a contract or you know hustle to get this money. Um, and I also knew that they were just looking for people, and I didn't even know what to charge. So what happened was um, when a broker had contacted me and said, you know, we're looking for somebody with your, with your kind of skills and experience, are you interested? I said, of course I'm interested. They said, well, what's your rate? I said, I don't know. What are you offering? <laughs> and when they came back to me with, well, you know, we can only do $100 an hour. I said, oh, I don't know. I'm going to need more than that. So, you know, I didn't know. I was completely going into it blind. I was basically faking it until I made it. And, and I forced them to tell me what the rate was because I didn't know what it was.
0: So when you said they came to you with 100 an hour, you said,
1: I, I don't know. You need to make
0: more than that. Yep, I said, Even though in your head you're like jumping up and down, <laughs> Yeah. screaming. Exactly.
1: I was thinking, I have $2,000 in a bank. I'm never going to make it past two months. But when they said $100 an hour, I said, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be enough money because I'm thinking I'm worth more than that, at least $150. So <laughs> I, I threw back $150. They said, Oh, that's impossible. You'll never make that kind of money. I said, Hey, do you want me or not? And yeah. You know, you know poker. It was like playing poker. You know, we we both have our poker faces on, and I just happen to have a better poker face. Good for
0: you. That's a great story.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's one that I I repeat often because um, I I like to repeat it not because I'm trying to say oh my gosh look how amazing I am making all this money you know that's that's beside the point I don't that's not the whole point of the story the, my my point of the story is negotiate always 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 is negotiate whatever first offer they give you, say no and go up 50% or 30%, whatever you think is, is proper and then have them negotiate you down because what I find always happens with women, especially young women and my friends in particular, is they always feel nervous or shy about negotiating because they feel, oh, I shouldn't ask for it. And if I'm really worth all that money, shouldn't they know it and just give me the money? No. I said, no, no. <laughs>
0: That's but how it is. works.
1: Japanese are mercenaries. They will pay you as little as they can to get as much out of you. And unless you ask for it, especially with the first offer on a job, that is the first, like the best time you can get like a $30,000 pay raise and not even blink an eye. But then when you're in the job, it's much harder to get a raise then.
0: So maybe your website should be called Save, Spend, Splurge, Negotiate. <laughs> the, <laughs> well, fourth, the fourth matrix.
1: Well, you know, negotiation, it's, it's also part, you know, it's part having basically the, the guts to say, you know, I can do this. I know what I'm doing. And part of it, I would have to say it's confidence. And I think, especially as a young woman, I'm noticing that a lot of other young women are lacking this confidence. And I really wish... And I really try very hard to say, you know, stop beating yourself up. You are as good as you think you are. It is not wrong as a woman to say, I am good at my job, and I'm worth this money. And I find that it's very hard for women to, to say that, and it's much easier for guys for some reason. I don't
0: know why. <laughs> Well, men have been in the workplace for a lot longer than women in the history of work. That's true. And so it's maybe they're conditioned a little bit more than we are and uh, they're more familiar with the politics and uh, how negotiating matters. And a lot of times men are in charge of giving those jobs and employers expect negotiation to happen, which is interesting, right? Most people shy away from negotiating. But if you actually think of the people on the other side of the table, the, the employers, the bosses, from their perspective, it's all about negotiating. And if you don't negotiate, then you're, you're, you're almost surprising them when you don't, because that's what they expect.
1: But you know, I find that they expect with young women that we are to not negotiate. Because I remember I've gone into some hairy negotiations with brokers, and they were just almost to the point of insulting or rude because i would i would say no i want x amount of money an hour i don't remember how much i asked for and they said oh you can never make that i can't believe you would imagine that you know a young woman like yourself could make that kind of money and i said excuse me and i gave it to him like i i i i very i think eloquently without swearing <laughs> told him where to where to shove it but, you know, you get that a lot, especially in my particular industry, because it's it's very male dominated. It's, um, it's one of the STEM professions, mm. uh, science, technology, engineering, math. And, and I find that they, they think that they can walk all over me because I'm a young woman. And that's, that, it just gets me. I don't know why, I don't know what I have, what my mother fed me when I was younger to give me such, such a fire in my belly. But I, it really bothers me that they think that they can, you know, walk over young women and women in general, and and expect to not get any pushback. But with guys, I hear about other colleagues, they never get this from brokers, they never get questioned about their rate. I always get questioned about my rate. So You know, that's part of it too, is that you have to think they're playing a game too, as exactly as Mm -hmm. you said. And when I started with my first job, they, they offered me 50,000 and I held out until they gave me 15 grand more. And I was the only one out of my entire basic cohort that, that joined the company that, that asked for more money, even out of the guys. Wow. which I was surprised by.
0: Good for you. <laughs> I, I, I smell a new vertical here on your website <laughs> blog. I really think you should, because it, what you're saying is, um, I'm, I'm, I I'm, mean, I've been where you've been. I think you're even bolder than I am. And we need more women like you encouraging other women to ask for what their what their value is. And well, I think, you know, sometimes the word worth, we correlate that to self-worth. And if you don't have a good self-worth, then you may not think you're deserving of, you know, um, more money. But what's your value? Let's just spin the word a little bit. You know, let's call it value. But your value in the workplace has, has nothing to do with emotion. It's, it's just about your, your input and your output. And I think that's a, maybe a less emotional way to, to, to look at things.
1: Perhaps, but I think women are very emotional creatures. I mean, I have to say I am very emotional, so I'm not afraid to admit it. It's just more that um, maybe I think the main problem or the main issue may be that we just haven't been taught that it is still okay to be a nice person, but you have to be a firm and polite and whatever else sort of young woman or lady or, you know, we have that kind of stereotype that girls are nice and boys play hard. Right. So we have this stereotype that you have to be nice. You have to please everybody. Oh, sorry. You know, we always start our sentences with sorry. At least I used to when I was younger until I, I weaned myself off it. Um, but we have to stop basically couching our words with sorry and and trying to, oh, if you don't mind, do you think? No, no, no. Let's cut all that stuff out yeah. and get straight to the point. Yeah. And, and once we start changing the way we speak, it changes the way that we think. And we start thinking, hey, you know what? I am damn good at what I do. And I'm not afraid to admit it, even if it's only in my head every morning (laughs) looking at the mirror. But at least, you know, it gives you that boost of confidence every time at the end of the year to go to your boss and say, this is what I've achieved this year. I've brought an X amount of money to the company. And I've saved this amount of money in efficiencies. Mm -hmm. I am, you know, this is the benchmark for my salary in my industry, in my years of experience. I want that amount. And if they fight back with you, well, you know what, they're going to fight back, but at least they're going to give you something
0: rather right. than, you know, it's hard to it. argue with hard numbers and facts.
1: Well, which is why I always suggest um, that at least I try to in my blog with some of my very few career negotiation posts um, to to Please you know go with facts hit them with facts and they can't dispute it you can't just go in there and say you know i've been a good person everybody likes me you don't, you don't get i'm the
0: last person to leave work i'm the first person in the office well Who that's cares? nice but how does that actually translate into their exactly. bottom line being exactly. bigger yeah Sherry, I'm telling you, you gotta write more about this. I wanna, I wanna hear more of this fire, fiery talk about earning more. I love it. Tell me, what's a habit that you have that you practice consciously that helps you with your ability to live the good life and still, you know, splurge, but still save at the same time?
1: It is. By far, budgeting and tracking my money with the same tool I used 10 years ago and donate all the proceeds to charity for that I sell on the blog. Um, and it's not pretty sometimes. I got to tell you, my last, my November budget roundup was just, it was not pretty. I couldn't believe that I spent that, that kind of money in one month, but it gave me a huge wake up call saying, whoa, you know, I'm starting to get into this lifestyle inflation sort of category that I was trying to avoid. So I would say budgeting, tracking my money and then being accountable for it on the blog where then people write and saying, "Whoa, you spent how much on clothes last month?" And I'll say yeah about that. So
0: what what are your what are your go-to designers? What's your absolutely favorite thing that you're obsessed about right now because um, I just like to hear it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what I for coats, nobody beats Burberry. I just, I always try and go to, you know, find cheaper versions of wool coats here and there. But you just, you can't beat a perfect classic trench coat from Burberry. And for me, my go-to brand for shoes, which is very, a very expensive brand, is Manolo Blanic. And actually, I have a little story about that. Is I found a pair of Manolo Blanics in Florida when I lived in Miami for about a year. Um, <laughs> I had thrifted. This perfect pair of brown Manolo Blahniks for $60. I mean, you just can't find good shoes for 60 bucks, let alone Blahniks. I bought them. I wore them to death. I wore them here. And then the what? heel snapped a, a month ago. Uh,
0: well, you can replace a heel.
1: Well, I didn't know that. So I was like crying in the corner. I called the Manolo Blahnik headquarters sobbing. <laughs> and they said, oh, we don't make that style anymore. And I said, what? <laughs> they said, but you know, you can send it to the leather spa in New York. I said, are you kidding me? Is the, it leather spa? Leather spa? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. 300 bucks later, I thought, well, what, what could they possibly do to fix this? I mean, there $300 is
0: really to fix the it. shoe that you bought for 60.
1: Yes, I know, but worth it. Three hundred sixty bucks. They normally go for a thousand dollars. These heels, and you can't find the style anymore. It is the perfect height, perfect. Like it just hugs your foot. It's like wearing slippers for me. I can't. I, if I could find five pairs at a thousand bucks, I may consider buying all five well, pairs. Well,
0: there is there is a thing <laughs> called cost per wear, yes. Which we should. I'm sure you've written about this because it's the, how you explain. To people who are just going to judge you because you spent, you know, more than they would on a a piece of clothing or a garment. But really, if this is something that you wear every day or many times a day and you feel good in it and it's comfortable and it, it, you know, then, you know what? And you can afford it. You aren't going into debt to pay for this. Nope. Then enjoy it. I hate that. Cheers to you. I wore that.
1: Six years. I wore these pairs of shoes for six years. It was my only pair of
0: work heels. That's $10 a year. I kid kid you not. (laughs) (laughs) Plus then it lasted probably longer because you got the heel replaced.
1: Well, yeah. So you know what? I sent them off and then I didn't have any heels to wear at work. And I was all depressed because when I'm walking around and I'm in flats, uh, uh, you know, you feel less professional. (laughs) So I actually splurged in November and bought two pairs of heels just in case. These ones go.
0: I have backups. So this is a recent story that you are. Yes, this is very. The rec- has recently been lifted. Yes. Um, tell me this. We're going to do some so many fill in the blanks now. I don't know if you're familiar with this part of the show, but this is when I start a sentence and you finish it quickly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, I, I have a feeling we're going to be really good at this. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is.
1: I would give away significant cash gifts to close family members, um, probably something more like pay off their mortgage rather than just giving them straight money because I feel like they would gamble it away (laughs) Um, and or buy them a place to live if they don't already have a place to live. Uh, For us, I would buy a very modest home, I would say 1,500 square feet or smaller um, and, and live in it, have it completely paid off and think about taxes in the future and have a fund for that. And then probably have a nice meal.
0: A nice and, meal. Or, or for the rest of your life, you could have well, a nice meal.
1: Well, you can't overindulge because then you don't enjoy it, right? So <laughs> I, I would have a nice meal. I, I don't know what I would eat. You're putting me on the spot here. There's so many things I would eat. <laughs> um, and then maybe take a trip uh, back to, to Europe to visit family and then beg the rest and live off the interest.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Live off the interest. No one's ever said that. That's, that's pretty awesome.
1: Well, we, I would invest interest. in dividends, I would invest in stocks that pay dividends. You and, could just
0: put it in a savings account and yeah. on 100 million dollars, 1% is a pretty nice income. <laughs> yeah, and then
1: I would just remember I have to pay taxes on it and just live off the interest. That's basically what I would do.
0: <laughs> How about this? One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is Oh my goodness. Um, what do I spend money
1: on that makes my life easier or better? Hmm. Probably <laughs> anything to do with my son.
0: Oh, <laughs> how old is your son? <laughs> he's uh he's
1: two years old.
0: Oh, my goodness. Mine's 18 months. Oh, see? Yeah, they're very close in age. Yeah, but so different, too, because like six months at that stage, you're, you know, he, your son's probably talking up a storm and skiing. He doesn't Mine... speak a single word.
1: What? He doesn't speak at all. Oh, really? Really, it's okay. because we're we're bilingual at home, oh. so I think he's confused about what language to use. Oh eat.
0: well, okay, that makes me feel better. <laughs> <But I'm> like, <laughs> our doctors are always like, if they're they don't have ten to fifteen words by eighteen months, you should consider a speech therapist. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I was a mute until um, I was mute until I was like two and a half because I was also bilingual.
1: You know, that's what happened. I, I I also went to the doctor and they also told me the same thing. And the nurse says, you know, we usually say eighteen months, eighteen words. And I said, okay. Really? She says, maybe, yes. And she says, maybe he has a hearing problem. I said, I don't think so. Because when I say time for a diaper change, he runs away. <laughs>
0: so, I mean, obviously, he does not he have... He understands plenty. Oh, yeah, yes,
1: He understands what we're saying. He just, that he can't process both French and English. Um, he doesn't know which one to, to say back.
0: <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um. Cool. Okay. The one thing that I splurge on that I don't regret ever is, and I know this is probably many things for you, oh but your favorite splurge?
1: My entire wardrobe. No, I'm kidding. Um, I would say my favorite splurge has to be probably one of the winter many winter coats that I own. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, because it's the one thing that you wear in the winter that everybody sees all the time mm. and it covers your outfit and it has to keep you warm, especially in in Canadian winters. So oh, yeah. Well, yeah, no, it, we
0: don't really know what that means right now because it's 72 in, in New York uh, as, as we speak. Well, we're what? having
1: a green Christmas too, so it's, it's unseasonably warm.
0: Crazy. Okay. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is?
1: One thing I wish I knew about money growing up was what a budget was, what saving was, I know it sounds so stupid, but it's true. You know, you don't learn this stuff. You have to experience it to really learn it.
0: Yeah. Um, Even if your parents had introduced it to you, maybe it wouldn't have sunk in.
1: Well yes, and and also maybe they introduced it to me and maybe they if they talk about retirement and and, you know, you should start saving part of your money. I think my brother somewhat touched on it when I was sixteen and I got my my job working, I don't remember where at some fast food restaurant. Um, but it never clicked into me what an RSP was. He just mentioned it in passing. And then I, it stayed with me, but I didn't remember what it was. Um, what that you know, your your money that you're borrowing for your tuition is not free money. <laughs> it's it's debt. It is not free cash that the banks are giving to you to because they love that you're studying. <laughs> and um, probably you know, just budgeting, tracking my money, and learning how to live more frugally because I never knew any of that stuff existed, and I may not have had so much money in debt. Had I known all those three things.
0: When I donate, I like to give to blank because.
1: Oh, this one's easy. I love giving to medical research companies, um, especially ones that have to do with cancer, because it's a big killer in my family. So mm. um, I like giving to things like cancer, diabetes, anything that has to do with what affects my family directly, um, because uh, my mother actually had cancer. So that's why. I'm very, very. It's very tied and very close. To yes. Me. And um, I would also say I like giving to environmental causes and anything to do with with children, granting wishes, you know, um, children's hospitals, that that sort of kind of general area.
0: That's wonderful. Okay, Sherry, last but not least, I'm Sherry from Save, Spend, Splurge. I'm so money because?
1: Um, I'm so money because uh, even though I'm in my very early 30s, I'm thinking just from this year alone, I'll bank about a quarter of a million net. And I've already hit over $550,000 in my net worth. And the best thing about having all that money is not that I have all the money, but is that I can choose when I want to work, who I want to work for, where I want to work. And it's a job that I love doing. And, Don't tell anybody, but I would actually do it for free. I love it so much.
0: Don't worry. Us and a million and a half listeners are not going to tell anyone.
1: It's a good thing I'm anonymous.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Sherry, promise me if you ever come to New York that you look me up and we will meet in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) I'll wear wear a mask. Wear a mask. Something. I have to meet you in person. You're fabulous. Thank you so much. And wishing you a fabulous new year.
1: Thank you very much, Farnoosh. And happy uh, new year and Merry Christmas
0: to you as well. Thank you. Thank you to my guest, Sherry, for coming on the show, being so brave and so bold. You know, she's anonymous, but she decided I'm going to do this podcast. And some of you might recognize her voice. She lives in Canada, so that narrows it down a little bit. Visit her website at savespendsplurge.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at Saver Spender. And as always, head over to somoneypodcast.com where you can download the transcript from this conversation as well as you can download the audio, leave a message, connect with me, click on Ask Farnoosh, send me your question for the Friday episodes. And by the way, we are almost celebrating our one-year anniversary. And as a gift to me... In case you wanted to give me a gift, I don't know, some of you might want to be generous. I'm just saying it would be amazing, awesome, tremendous, so awesome if you would leave a review on iTunes. You know, your honest thoughts about the podcast, what you like, what you don't like, even. I'm okay with that. I just would love to see more people going to iTunes and leaving their thoughts to keep this podcast head above water you know it is a crowded marketplace out there especially in the new year lots more podcasts are coming into the marketplace so it would be nice with some additional reviews to keep our spotlight and so thanks in advance for doing that just wanted to throw that out there in case any of you wanted to i would so appreciate it thanks for tuning in everyone see you back here tomorrow hopefully hope your day is so money